This podcast is brought to you by Songfinch. Are you ready to stop giving the same old gifts for special occasions? Are you prepared to win the holidays and become a gift-giving champion? Well, you just discovered the answer, and Songfinch has your back. They will use your favorite stories, memories, and feelings to craft a -a one-of-a-kind, radio-quality song that makes a timeless gift. After all, every special occasion needs a soundtrack. With personalized songs starting at $99 and delivered within a week, this is a unique way to say I love you. Plus, there are two ways you can create your song. You can either build from an existing foundation or start from scratch. Share your memories, select your mood, genre, and vocalist type. And then Songfinch handpicks the perfect songwriter to record your song from scratch. They also mail you a greeting card with a unique URL printed inside and a front you can customize to gift with the song. And this really is the pivotal cherry on top. I know. You know when you order something online for someone as a gift, but you don't actually have anything to present from them? You're trying to just print off a piece of paper to show them? Songfinch has thought of everything. To put it in plain English, if there's someone out there you love and you don't know what to get them, this is your opportunity to present the best gift they'll ever have. And for our Clatchers, Songfinch is offering $20 off your personalized song from scratch. Just go to songfinch.com and use the promo code Clatchers. That's $20 off your personalized song from scratch. Songfinch.com, promo code Clatchers. Da, da. Blink and you're dead. Da, da. Don't turn your back. Don't look away. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-suggestive viewpoint, it's more like a big ball. Time-wise, I don't want to go. It can't be fast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Doctor Who episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing episode nine, It Takes You Away. Written by Ed Heim and directed by Jamie Childs. The synopsis for this one is, on the edge of a Norwegian fjord in the present day, Team TARDIS discover a boarded up cottage and a girl named Han in need of their help. What monster lurks in the woods beyond? IMDb is giving this a 7.2 and Rotten Tomatoes a 100%. 100%, huh? Yeah. Wow. They loved it. And they say it's exhilarating to watch this new era of the show finally snap into place in such a confident, unabashedly weird way. There were some issues with it. Another site says it's bursting with wild and wonderful concepts, arguably too many. The end result is a haphazard tale, one that's sporadically brilliant but hugely inconsistent serving up some of the best and worst moments of the series alongside each other. So we're going to break this down. I think the first three quarters of the episode was fantastic. I love that this is sort of in keeping with this Doctor Who era. There's a good mixture of quote-unquote villains in the episode. It turns out part of this is humanity yet again, but more so the frailties and weaknesses we have instead of the evil within us wanting to be with the significant people in our lives, loved ones that we've lost. And that's mirrored so perfectly in this sentient universe that just wants to be with humans. Essentially, we are incompatible and it's unable to do so. So another episode where the bad guy isn't really a bad guy. Not intentionally so, but we do have this high sci-fi concept, a world that's reaching out to us that we have to deal with. And yes, manipulating us at the same time, making us do things that really aren't so great in that effort. 
Plus, they have sprinkled in some more villain-esque type figures in the form of ribbons. And I like that we actually get that character for once. The anti-zone is scary. He's frightening. I even like the flesh-eating moths. Yeah, that ribbons is like a bridge troll. Harkening to Dark Crystal or Pan's Labyrinth, people have been saying. There's some fairy tale concepts going on here, like Hansel and Gretel leaving a slew of breadcrumbs behind them when the doctor unravels her string. Here's the thing about all of the thoughts they introduced. A lot of the initial threads they laid down have nothing to do with the end story. It turns out the cabin in the middle of the woods, this gorgeous Norwegian fjord location, doesn't really play a role at all. There is no thing in the woods. There is no beast. Okay, I'm fine with subverting that concept. But even the anti-zone and the character of ribbons kind of fall by the wayside eventually. Yeah, I mean, where do I start The opening scene of this show, I'm like, oh, great, another beautiful scenic episode. I mean, just last episode, we had Pendle Hill, which acted as a beautiful backdrop for their storyline. And I was like, ooh, another one. These tall, skinny trees, beautiful scenery, little mountains, the fjord, which, funny enough, is a little homage to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes, and funny enough, wasn't even filmed in Norway, (laughs) but it still works beautifully. Movie magic. And Clatchers, who've been with us for a while, know we love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We actually have a t-shirt about that in our gear store. So I love those. But that's quickly, you know, forgotten about until the ending scene. You're like, oh yeah, they're in a beautiful environment right now. (laughs) And they have Jamie Childs, who's doing wonderful things with the backdrops we're given. He also directed the first episode, The Woman Who Fell to Earth, and one of my favorites, Demons of the Punjab. And... The visuals for both of those episodes, incredible. It felt underutilized. I understand the story forces us to pull away from that, but is there a way maybe that could have worked in to the overall episode? Something about the location being a factor in why this is the spot the anti-zone formed? Oh, yeah. There's so many ideas that they could have extrapolated from that. The fjord opened a break in time or something like that, which Doctor Who has done before, something similar to that. And that always works. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that a little here, so we might as well explain what it is. I didn't exactly know. I knew it was a body of water, but a fjord comes from the Norse fjord, which means where you travel across. It's a long, narrow inlet with steep sides or cliffs. It's actually created by glaciers. Where the glacier retreats, it carves a U-shaped valley into that rock, and the sea fills in the resulting valley floor, forming this steep-sided inlet that connects to the ocean. Yeah, think of it as it backs into its own parking spot. It makes a parking spot, (laughs) which is just carving into the ground. (laughs) Yeah, and Norway has so many of them. It makes sense to be set here. So a lot of that stuff doesn't pay off. We have to quickly jump past the thing that lives in the woods. Turns out that was just a fabrication from Han's father. Really mean. We'll come back around to that (laughs) later. But I like that this adventure gives the doctor and all of our companions actual things to do. Mysteries to solve, places they have to traverse, deeper character issues they have to work through. And in the end, we do get quite a good highlight with Graham. I know we've talked about him a lot this season, but it's his moment when he has to figure this out with Grace, I think, really emotionally impactful. I think, though, it fizzles a little after that. 
I know that some people really liked the conversation between the doctor and the universe, the soul attract, which ends up taking the shape of a frog. But there's a lot of differing viewpoints. I think I fall on the side of the frog didn't really work for me. No, it didn't work for me either. It took an episode that had so much emotion from human emotion to the soul attract emotion, which is humanistic, to the doctor's emotion sacrificing herself for the humans to this frog. Now, they foreshadowed it because Grace loves frogs. But if the soul attract is trying to manipulate by materializing as someone that you want to be with or Mm -hmm. that you love so much that you would stay, you would leave the the world for it, why would it become a frog for the doctor? That was an opportunity for Doctor Who to do what they used to do best, which is call back to the past years, this beautiful library of past characters that we've grown to love. It could have been any one of the companions. You can call them back. Come on. I'm sure they can afford it. Or what about a past doctor? And it talks to the past doctor. Or Or she talks to the past doctor. Or I know you were desperately hoping to see River Song. Yes. This feels like the right time for that. Okay. Even if Chibnall doesn't want to do these callbacks, tying things in, the doctor talks about her seven grannies in this episode, one of whom told her the story about the soul attract. We could see granny number five. Yeah, that would be a little more impactful, but not on our emotional strings. No, but it fits with his theme. If he doesn't want to break that, there's still a way to do it. Because I think you're right. The reason these forms are so attractive to us, that it's able to be manipulative and kind of convince us, they're personally resonant. Now, it kind of makes sense that the solo track doesn't have much to pull from. All it can work with are seemingly the memories, the feelings from the people who enter its world. Eric comes in, and now the soul attract has a projected image of Trine, his wife. Graham comes in, and it has Grace and her backstory. I don't see why it couldn't do that with the doctor. My thoughts exactly. Further, with the doctor saying I made a new friend, or how difficult it would be emotionally for her to leave it alone, is if it was someone like, oh my god. If we go back to the Ninth Doctor's companion, Rose, we saw how much the Ninth Doctor and the Tenth Doctor was in pain for so many seasons because of the loss of Rose. Mm -hmm. That would have been so impactful. Well, and it had to bring the dialogue to a place where it was almost like a romantic relationship for her. They were having a breakup. I've heard the comments from other people, this works because it's covering all manner of relationships, father-daughter, husband-wife friend to friend. So, okay, why not romantic relationship? But that's not a topic being explored at this current moment for the doctor. It is more about friendship and companionship. You got romantic from that? Yes. A lot of people are saying there's allusions to the way you would break up with somebody. I will miss you. We can't be together anymore, but we're better off alone. We can each go live our separate lives. There are lines you would say perhaps when you break up with someone. I suppose, but I did not get a romantic... I mean, it's a frog, for God's sakes. Really? They just met. Yeah, I felt that, though. And yes, perhaps that would make sense if that's River Song mm-hmm. standing there. Then you can have that conversation. And they would have had that whole social impact that this season has been trying to perpetually bring up. And this would be two women. The reality of the doctor being a woman. Yeah. Yeah, and River could... Be like, oh, my goodness, I haven't seen this form before. Uh, That would have been perfect. River would have been so (laughs) funny and witty at that moment. She would have really worked with that. It also leaves 
questions for me. Now, most Doctor Who episodes are going to, especially ones that are completely standalone. It's hard to tie everything up in a bow. But why Treen and Grace? How and why did it take their forms and spirits? Was it just from the memories of the people who entered the mirror world? Why didn't we see characters from others then? You know, Yaz doesn't have a projection. It's just some that it's choosing from. And then the issues of Eric and his daughter, which, yes, have to take a little bit of a back seat. Oh, it, it was forgotten about. That's kind of unfortunate <laughs> since it's supposed to be about them. Now, we understand that Eric tried to bring his wife back through to their world and that didn't work. But why didn't he ever bring his daughter through to this side? I guess ribbons well, felt too dangerous. He's risking the journey. I mean... Instead, it's better to leave her at home alone for days on end to fabricate a monster to keep her scared inside. Mm. That's so traumatic. Is that better than taking her here where in his mind, maybe this is a world they could have lived and been happy. We find out that's false. None of this is true. But before he learns it, you would think it'd be a logical thing to try. Yeah. And I wonder in that world, I mean, they could not answer this. And I'm not saying I wish they would. They couldn't answer it in one episode. But I'm wondering, just in my imagination, if you chose to stay there, would the Soul Attract be rebuilding the entire world so that when they have to go get food, they can go to the store Mm. and that's there as well? You know, I wonder how big of a world it's recreating. He's there for four days. Presumably there's a way for him to survive. And now, I guess the more people that come in, it becomes unsustainable. But they said when he was there, it was fine. Maybe two people could live indefinitely. And... The soul attract now is not so lonely yeah. forever and ever the rest of time. I understand that it's kind of a farce, but it makes us think about it that way too, right? Well, I guess also he wouldn't have to get food because the soul attract is just making the food. Yeah. So, Why okay. Not? He probably could be happy forever, but the kid who needs to grow and learn and meet new people would not be happy at all. Plus, she immediately recognizes, this is not my mother. She's not going to be happy with this manifestation. Do you think she realized right away because she's blind and she has other heightened senses? Or do you think it's because that version was based specifically off of her father's memory of her and not the kid's memory of her? And you know how you remember your own realities are different. So I would look at you differently from the way your mother looks at you. So my memory of you is different. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I thought both of those things while I was watching this. Han, who's played by Eleanor Walwork, is not the first blind character to appear on Doctor Who, but it is the first time it was played by an actual blind actor. I think she did a wonderful job. The portrayal was so great. It's not your typical teenager, and yet you can imagine... These reactions being so true to life. I I like the way she responds to Ryan (laughs) and is sort of immediately calling him out on his stuff, even though she doesn't say it that way. And then is able to stand up to the father in the end. You know, you're not seeing this, but you've had this issue ever since our mom passed away. You're not able to move on. So she does seem very intuitive, very intelligent. It could just be that. It could be a mixture of all of those things. Well, we're talking about characters, so let's move into our new faces and places. We also got Eric, the father, who was played by Christian Rubeck. We had Treen, Han's mother, played by Lisa Stoke, and Ribbons, played by Kevin Eldon, a creature that lives in the anti-zone. I loved him. He was fun. I thought he did a phenomenal job. 
And this was one of the first creatures that visually I loved looking at. He really frightened me, (laughs) but I kind of felt for him and he was a little comedic at the same time. Oh, yeah. And of course, one of the biggest characters, the soul attract itself, a consciousness or form of energy that came before the universe and was stopping the creation of our universe being possible by preventing all the various elements from coming together. It's essentially completely incompatible. So our universe was able to exile it to the soul attract plane, an unreachable separate existence. And that's something that was not explained. How did it become reachable all of a sudden? It intimates that it built a doorway. When universes become too close, an anti-zone maybe just springs into existence all by itself so that it's a buffer and stuff can't get through. That was this weird space in between. We don't know how and why there's a creature like Ribbons living there, but okay. But it still shouldn't be possible to traverse between the two. And the doctor talks about that when she sees the portal. This isn't like any other portal. When you walk through it, you should just be transported to another world. Where and why are we right now? So it built some kind of workaround in order to bring people through. So it's an in-between zone so that the universes don't collide. Mm -hmm. And I guess the moths are like the antibodies in our body. It's flesh-eating moths. So if something does get through, hopefully the moths can kill it before it gets across. Yeah, the anti-zone is trying to protect the universe from total destruction and perhaps on a subconscious level can let one or two through because that's not harmful. But beyond that, there's going to be complete chaos. All right, let's jump into our plot. We are beginning more like we have been the past few episodes. We don't see the TARDIS. The group just arrives at their location. In this episode, it's the edge of a Norwegian fjord in present day 2018. The doctor mentions she's relieved they haven't arrived at the Woolly Rebellion, which won't take place until 193 years in the future. At that point, there is a total renegotiation of the human-sheep relationship, an utter bloodbath. (laughs) There's a lot of these comments thrown away this season that I am so intrigued by. What the hell is the Woolly Rebellion? I want to know more. Yeah, me too. That kind of reminded me of The Magicians, which is our next show coming out in January, if you guys want to follow along there. Quick plug, but the reason why it reminded me of that is the Doctor Who universe, the animals on Earth never, you know, they weren't sentient. Right. Sentient. So this is a first for us. This kind of tells us that the animals have... A consciousness. A consciousness and a deal with the humans or or a deal with something. It's so bizarre. (laughs) But it's funny. I like it. Yeah. But Ryan quickly spots a cottage in the distance, and while it first looks abandoned with windows and doors boarded, they see someone inside and go to investigate. Upstairs, they find a child hiding and realize she has been left here alone. Han tells the group the thing her dad Eric has been defending the house from must have taken him because he's been gone for four days. After all, he hasn't worked since their move from Oslo after her mother died, and their boat is still at the dock. An alarm goes off and Han tells everyone they have to get inside because the thing comes this time every day to hunt. Throughout this, Ryan is a little rough with her, suggesting that it's likely the dad just ran out on her. And I said while we were watching it, this is very unlike Ryan. I don't know if I like this, but you pointed out something I wasn't even thinking about. Yeah, this stems from his own insecurities, the issues he's had with his own father leaving him. Instead of presuming what most of our companions have been along the way, well, this must be an alien creature or a beast, something that we're here to fight, his mind first goes to, no, he left. Mm -hmm. 
Now, his sentiments are good because they kind of turn out to be right. And maybe we should be open to exploring all of these avenues, especially in light of what we've learned this season. A lot of this is about humans just being assholes. <laughs> oh, we should probably have that viewpoint from someone, but it is to the extreme. He is cutting off this relationship with her to the point that later she's going to dip on him because she knows he's lying and he doesn't like her very much. Well, she just doesn't trust him at all. Yeah. So at this point, it's kind of got this horror feel to it, which I really enjoyed. I did too. Now, I know if we followed that through to its logical conclusion, it wouldn't be the episode it is. And I praise it for existing on a deeper level that feels more old school Doctor Who, a whole sentient universe. So I get it, but why do we introduce it then just to subvert expectations? I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, they didn't really need it. If they went in there and the kid was alone and just in conversation, they started talking about it. I think they could have found another way to get from point A to point B. It makes the dad unforgivable later. The fact that he's been doing this to try to keep her there like an awful scary movie babysitter, we can get his emotion, why he's been going there and how hard it is to leave. But did it have to go to that level? I feel like there's another way. (laughs) This also gives us a really great moment between Ryan and Yaz. Privately while searching the shed, Yaz tells him she's better with kids, perhaps because she's had training. It's taught her to reinforce whatever makes them feel safe. Another of these moments we desperately look for with Yaz that never seem complete. And it happens again in this episode. She's the one character to maybe not get enough emotion-wise, background-wise stuff to do. She starts out being important because she's able to relate to Han. But then by the doctor taking her along, that becomes irrelevant. It would have made more sense to leave her with Han, seeing as how she's the one that has the good relationship. The doctor chooses Ryan, who is quite obviously not getting along well with her. Why does this make sense in-universe or to our storyline? Well, I have a few thoughts that are actually uh, counter to each other. So I'm lost here too. We've complained in the past that we felt the doctor was always always leaving Yaz away from the actual adventure. Mm. So this time we actually get her on the adventure. So I am remiss to complain about that. Agreed. But she goes on the adventure and what does she have to do there? It becomes the Graham show on that side. So bring her along and give her a job or else leave her where she's relating to a secondary character and keep that pattern of being able to build the development. Also, I think it was funnier and made for better TV with the friction between Ryan and Han. Oh, 100%. Now, if they were as adamant about Ryan's physical issues, if they actually integrated that into the storyline more often, I think it would have made more sense to have him stay back. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make sense in the storyline, so I can't use that as a reason. Yeah, and yet again, they have him going through this anti-zone with her later, and you could see that being extremely problematic if it did come into play. They're alone in this space that's very dangerous, trying to negotiate this lantern and flesh-eating moths. It could become quite terrifying that his problem stopped them from being able to get through that. They only show them together there for about a half a second, and then it doesn't matter. Um... And he found another lantern just there. I think that's the one. 
Oh, same one. Ribbons dropped. I, yeah. Okay, cool. But anyhow, back to this moment, the group hears the sounds of what they think is a creature coming from the woods and run inside to secure the cabin. Han hides under the table and repeats, it takes you away. Graham is upstairs keeping watch when he hears a strange noise coming from a mirror that doesn't show their reflection. When he puts his hand near it, a portal appears, and the doctor quickly orders them away from it, warning it's a doorway to another dimension. However, needing to investigate, she takes Graham and Yaz and instructs Ryan to stay back and keep Han safe. Okay, first of all, I'll never get tired of a mirror being a doorway to another mm-hmm, dimension. Agreed. We've seen it in... Go back to the magicians again Wizard because... Wizard of Oz, the magicians. It was oh, yeah. huge this season. Growing up, mirrors were magical. You look at it, it, there you are, and you can move, and it's moving along with you. The innocent part of me will never lose that little bit of magic with mirrors. Except for the fact that I'm getting older and it's getting meaner to me because I'm starting to look older. <laughs> <laughs> well, the magicians manages to make it scary this season. And I thought something like that might happen here. One of the mirrors on one side breaks and then what happens to them? They're stuck in this anti-zone. If this had been a two-parter, I think you have to go that way, right? As you say that, there's a perfect way to incorporate the scary monster noises in the woods on our side of the world. If they didn't make it where the father made it up, but it actually was just a reflection or an echo, if you will, of the other side. And the longer they stayed in that zone, that's when the, the monsters would come. Yes. And she couldn't quite tell where they were coming from. Exactly. Yeah. That would be cool. You could absolutely make this That would intertwine it in. more rather than just a speaker and the father just being a total ass. And this, this pattern of just having to set something up so we can subvert it and it's not what you think. But some of their stories are suffering a little for that. It's becoming too formulaic. Yeah. And it is not what you think if it's actually the monsters aren't there on our side. And the Correct. fact that they're only they're on the other side. And it's just reflecting. Probably scarier than just random beasts roaming around in the woods. Agree. Well, before the doctor leaves, she writes a message for Ryan on the wall so Han won't hear. It says, assume her dad is dead. Keep her safe. Find out who else can take care of her. Ooh, that's really intense. Harsh. But again, winds up being true. Not that he's dead, but he's MIA, and what's going to happen to her if he doesn't come back? Once inside the space-time portal, the doctor is noting, as we said, something's not right. It seems it's being pulled in half. She's concerned about this, so she ties a length of string to carry along with them. That way they can find their way back. As they wander further in, they find our creature... Ribbons of the Seven Stomachs <laughs> oh, is his full name. He claims to have seen Eric, but he wants the doctor's sonic in exchange for information. They strike a deal and Ribbons shows them the way, leading with his lantern. So tell us about these lanterns you're so proud of. By design. The only light here. Where is he? Information is sadly so expensive. You don't have such credit. But you live here, presumably. I mean, given there's a portal right where we found you and you've chosen not to use it. Oh, you ask the clever questions. I bet your brain tastes so delicious. He frequently has to distract the flesh moths that are drawn to the light along the way, which would strip the meat off your bones. Yummy. While they continue ahead, he secretly cuts their line of string. 
I was a little unsure at first when we entered the anti-zone how I was going to feel about it. It mostly seemed like a lot of fog swirling around and colored lights in the background, but they opened it up a bit. Mm -hmm. Seeing the creature, his lantern, the moths was enough that we didn't know what was beyond. It was scarier for that. We couldn't see when the moths were approaching. I actually thought it was developed really well. And we bounced back and forth a little here. As they're traversing the anti-zone, Han and Ryan are back at the cottage, not getting on very well. This peaks when she realizes Ryan is lying about the map on the wall. She starts to revolt, but Ryan drags her out of the room and locks the door. While searching outside, he finds the speaker and realizes the monster sounds were fake. He runs to tell her, but Han knocks him out with the door, takes (laughs) the key, and goes through the portal. When he comes to, Ryan follows her and finds her in the passage. He discovers the abandoned light from ribbons and tells her they will find the way out together. She's still resisting trusting him. They started off on the wrong foot, but it's mostly because she knows he's been lying to her. Lying about what was written on the wall, this plays into her own weakness because she can't find out the truth about that. She doesn't know what it says unless Ryan tells her. And that's doubled down in the anti-zone where she has no idea what's happening. She can sense this is a dangerous world and she's in a lot more peril not being able to see what's coming. She has to completely rely on Ryan, which makes her very vulnerable. And if he's lying to her about that too, what is she to do? I mean, I don't know how I would react in that situation. And back over to Ribbons, he tells the group he has cut the line, and they have no bargaining chip now. When the doctor says she won't give him the sonic, he holds Graham at knife point. This place, Ribbons. Antisone. Oh, no. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? An antisone is a thing the universe makes wherever the fabric of space-time is threatened. Like a protective buffer zone to keep threats at bay. And we're in the middle of it. How did you even get here, Ribbons? Flesh moths start summoning a swarm and their lantern goes out, which Ribbons says will be worse. The doctor orders them all to freeze and Ribbons knows he should too, as if he moves, he's going to be attacked. This is the whole reason he tried to prompt them to run, but he just can't help himself trying to go for the tubular. Thus the, <laughs> thus the moths attack him, giving the others a chance to run. The swarm chases them, but they are able to get back through the portal and the doctor reseals it. Once outside, they realize though they've inadvertently come through a different portal and now are on the other side of the mirror. There they find Eric, who they question about leaving Han. He explains he made up the thing in the woods to keep her safe while he's gone. Oh Ugh. dear. While she's alone eating candy because For they saw all the candy wrappers. Days? Yeah, that's ridiculous. And she's blind, and I'm not trying to say that makes her completely incompetent. She clearly gets around very well. But a child that needs caring for and now can't see when and if danger is approaching. There's just so many layers. Oh, on top of that, they just moved there. It's a new house. So it's not like she's really aware of the setting. They're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. What happens if she needs help? It's ridiculous. It's going to take a while for someone to get to her. Compound that with the fact that, Eric, you're not the only one struggling from a loss. She's lost her mother recently as well. You think that you're the only one having a hard time dealing? He's a bad person. It's very selfish. We can understand from a human point of view, this seems like his wife alive and well. He wants to be with her. He wants to spend time with her. 
He's finding a way to rationalize it. And we can even say the soul attract has manipulated him. We see it doing that to try to keep the person there. But there's still very little excusing it. Treen, his wife, says she might be dead in their world, but she's seemingly alive and well here. Even she can't quite understand it. She makes mention of it. And Eric says she can't go back through the mirror. They've tried that. She also tells them a friend of theirs arrived at the same time. And outside, Graham finds Grace. We kind of knew, right, that Grace had to come back around at some point this season. Well, this is her third time back. Yes. But I think it's the first time since leaving that it's had a huge emotional push on Graham, which we were waiting. Something had to do that. He hadn't really processed his grief, his loss fully. He was trying to get away with these adventures and not have to deal with that day-to-day life. And here it is. It confronts him directly. Grace says she remembers her death and wonders if she's real now. He is suspicious at first. He asks her to tell him about the frog necklace he wears, kind of like a test. But she knows that it was a Christmas gift to her because she likes frogs, and he wears it now to keep her close. It seems like Grace, but something's clearly off. Graham, though, is more and more swayed as time goes on. He tells her about his adventures with the doctor. He's been to an alien planet and even met Rosa Parks. But he's lost. He misses her. Very touching scene. And this is the first time the whole feel of the show changes. Honestly, this is one of the better episodes this season. So I did really enjoy it. This is one of those scenes where it's believable. And the struggle that they're going to have, you can definitely be on board with. Yeah, and Graham is the character who's kind of had it together this season as far as the adventures. He has clever ideas. He knows how to go along with these things to help the mission. This is his weak spot. So we get to see another side of him where he's vulnerable. He doesn't know what to do. Even when the doctor is telling him things that rationally make sense, he's still hurt over this and he can't let Grace go. Trying to figure this out, the doctor thinks that anti-zones only exist when the world is under terrible threat. This one must be there to stop the mirror world and theirs from ever touching. And that means the copy world is dangerous. So what has the power to create one? The doctor recalls a story Granny Five told her about the solar tract. In the beginning, pre-time, all of the elements of the universe couldn't fit properly together because this consciousness was incompatible with it. Thus, we said before, the creation of the Solitract plane. And that's where the group is now, inside of the copy world, with a door to their own universe. A trap. The Solitracts created a trap. The doctor realizes they need to leave fast, but she can't force the mirror open with the sonic anymore because it's adapting. We get a good point from Yaz here where she thinks, why not reverse the polarity? And that works, but only long enough for Han to come through from the other side. This traps Ryan in the anti-zone by himself, but we don't get to see any of that. Yeah, but this was still cool writing. I really enjoyed this part. Yeah. The tension was building. It's just like, why leave him there if you're not going to show it? That's scary, man. Yeah. And the doctor is busy trying desperately to convince Graham that Grace can't come with them. She's not real. She's part of the trap. Around them, the world is destabilizing and falling apart. The soul attract energy who has always wanted human companionship has created a form that would attract them, and the deception has been effective. When Yaz tries to show Graham that it's not Grace by pointing out the real Grace would have been leading the charge through the mirror, the soul attract ejects her back through the portal. 
And Eric, too, wants to stay, but Han pleads that this isn't their mother. He hasn't been right since she died, and she is expelled, too. Now, I thought that part was good. It brings the doctor to the conclusion, this is how you get out. Mm -hmm. If you reject this thing, it can't stand for that, and it just pushes you out. But it's like they felt the need to move one by one through the characters. It got a little laborious. Okay, you have to say something so you can get kicked out. You have to reject it so you can get kicked out. Well, I didn't feel that way because after those, it was more about convincing the humans to not want to stay there anymore. So it had a little twist to it. But then we had to focus on Graham and he's so resistant, but then a light goes on and he realizes and he gets out like... I think we needed to pick one character and focus on their resistance and their emotional connection, perhaps. I disagree. Because with Graham, he was very divided emotionally, which we were on board with, more so than the father, because we're like, fuck that guy. He really wasn't divided. Exactly. The thing that pushed Graham over the edge was something that we, again, can be on board with because it's always about us as a team, right? The companions, we do everything together. When the doctor brings up that Ryan's in trouble and Grace is not doing the Grace thing, which would be like, go get Ryan, make sure he's okay. That's when the light switches. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm on board with that. That makes sense to Graham's character as we know him. That makes sense to Grace's character as we know she's not. Well, right. But so then maybe don't have this whole scene with Eric. Have it be Graham who is the last holdout that the doctor has to negotiate with the Solitract for. Instead, we have it be Eric. Well, it makes sense to me because with Eric, he does not want to leave. Mm-hmm. It's not his decision to leave. She has to convince the Solitracks to keep her instead of him. Yeah. So he never turns. He, it's, it would be annoying if it was one by one and they all just turned. He never wanted to leave. The Solitracks decided to push him out regardless because it could only sustain one. Well, no, he came to a realization too. Oh, kind of, I guess. Each character came to their own realization. First it was Han and she hit it really quick. Then it was Yaz sticking up for them because she already knew, but it was like four characters. So it was a little much for you. It was a little too much. Like, I don't think we need to see every single one of them have that moment. I hear what you're saying, and I loved the emotional resonance of what happened with Graham. I thought this line was so impactful. My heartstrings were really pulled when he looks at her and he says, you were so close. You were so <laughs> close. And you can just feel it. I wanted this to be you, but some part of me knows that it can't be you because yeah. you wouldn't react that way. And as we said... Eric is the final holdout. He still refuses to leave, so in a desperate bid, the doctor offers herself up instead. She is the better choice because she's seen the whole universe and can tell it everything. And it's that fascination. The soul attract in the form of Treen is looking at the doctor now, like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're a much better treat. And Eric's looking at her like, wait a second. (laughs) You're not into me? This is not a thing anymore? That kind of wakes him up. Okay. And he gets sent back through. But I love this because it's the doctor being the doctor. Yeah, this is actually my favorite part. And I wish we had given a little more time. This goes back to if we didn't have to set up the fake creature in the woods thing, we would have an additional five minutes. And where I would spend it is making me buy for a little bit that the doctor has made this deal and she's going to have to stick to it. 
at least for a while. Maybe she really is going to get trapped in this plane and have to offer herself up as a sacrifice. And it seems as though perhaps there's even a little part of her that's enticed by that. I feel bad for you. You are another creature unlike anything else out there. You're a whole sentient universe and you are so alone. All you want is this companionship and you've been reaching out to humans since the beginning of time. Please just come be with me. That's very like her, right? There's nobody else like her. There's hardly any time lords left in the universe. She feels lonely. She wants that companionship. She reaches out to these humans to come on adventures with her so she can have that. And part of her probably would love to tell some stories about what all of that has been like. This could be a friend. And thus, it's kind of a loss for her in the end. But it doesn't get enough time and enough buildup for me to A, be scared that that's really going to happen. I know that in two seconds, she's going to get kicked back out. (laughs) Or B, to have the resonance of the doctor really feeling a loss. I was making a friend and now I have to let it go. Neither of those things lands. No, not at all. It doesn't help that it was a frog. No, but I don't think that's the biggest problem. Those two things are the biggest problem. What if they had a whole episode after this where the doctor is on that side and they're learning about each other and we're learning more about the solar tract and now we're feeling the camaraderie and Mm -hmm. then the doctor has to leave. I think that would be awesome. And they could do so much cool stuff on that side. Oh, yeah. Show what the solar tract looks like when it's not having to take a form we're familiar with. Show the companions on the other side so worried. Is the doctor ever coming yeah. back? Has she abandoned us? How do we save her? Where did she go? The power of the solar track. And again, if it was one of the companions or a past doctor being depicted as this, oh, all oh the my harder God, for her to leave. That would be an awesome episode. And that's the ending episode of the season. And Perfect. you don't know what's going to happen. Plus, just the humanity of her that this universe is lonely. How do I just leave it here by itself? Yeah. Cut it off for the rest of time. That's a real struggle. It needs more than a minute at the end of an episode to address. And I think that's why people can't quite pinpoint it and they're blaming it on the frog. (laughs) They're like, the end of this episode didn't land for me, but I don't know why. I think that's why. This is a huge point you're trying to make. I can't get over how great that episode would be if it did that. Yeah. And thus, instead, we're just left with these couple of lines with a badly CGI'd frog a dialogue that doesn't quite hit it. She has one good line. She tells the soul attract. She knows it wants them to be together, but it can never work. You're the maddest, most beautiful thing I've ever seen, and I wish I could stay. But neither of us would survive. You're going to have to let me go and keep on being brilliant by yourself. Uh, one thing, I don't think it was CGI'd. It was one of those uh, puppeteers, I think. Oh, really? I think. Don't hate me for that, Clatchers. Well, either way... If you're going to have the frog, maybe just have it sitting there, not actually talking, like telepathically they're communicating or something. Oh, that'd be cool. You know, the moving its mouth thing was what made it odd. Yeah. Uh, But I do like that last line, and it, it finally releases her. The doctor and the group run through the passage, which is rapidly disintegrating. They find the mirror and are able to get back through just on time. The doctor seals the portal one last time and the mirror shatters. She doesn't know if the Solitrack survived, but it won't be coming back. Are we safe? From the Solitrack? Yes. Don't know if it survived. But it won't be coming back here. Shame. Made a new friend. 
a whole conscious universe and had to say goodbye. And seeing the note on the wall, Eric realizes what a mistake he made and decides it's time for him and Han to move on. We also get this last touching scene where Ryan goes to talk to Graham, telling him seeing Grace must have been hard. And he too misses her all the time, but at least they have each other. And? And we get the moment that we've been waiting for, that we've been seeing being built episode per episode. He finally calls him Granddad. I love that he won't say it again. No. Like, Graham is like, wait, what'd you say? And he's like, no. come on, we got to go back to the thing, you know? <laughs> it made it feel more real. I love it. And I don't think anything else would have snapped Graham out of this. I mean, yeah. he looks like he is never going to be moved from that spot above the fjord. But this finally gets him to push on. And he gets the whole message of this experience. Grace is gone. And as much as I loved her, what I have left to live for now is Ryan. Ryan is right here and I have to focus on that. So it finally stirs him to move and they all head back to the TARDIS. Well, that wraps up our plot and takes us to our ratings. On a scale of one to 10 Sonics, Jason, what do you give episode nine, It Takes You Away? I really enjoyed this episode. From the beginning, the composition in those woods with the blue TARDIS on the left, those tall trees in the foreground and the background being the fjord. It was such a beautiful composition that it set up the whole feeling for me with this episode. That mixed in with Graham's character being able to really take that emotional plight, the doctor feeling like the doctor towards the end that we love, the clever doctor, and so many other positive things. Forgetting the ending where they kind of flopped a little bit with the frog and how we just thought of the perfect way to make this a two-part episode, I'm going to give this episode a 7.6 Sonics. I agree with everything you said. I am completely distracted now by the fact that I can't stop thinking about other ways they could have ended it. There were elements in here I really loved. As usual, I'm going to measure it up against my other episode ratings. I gave Rosa the Saranga Conundrum and the Witchfinders a seven, and then went up to eight for the other episodes. And I liked it somewhere in between. So I'm going to give it a 7.5. Now moving on to our Clatcher segment, we asked our Clatchers on Twitter, at CKC Podcast, this week, who is your most valuable companion? Our four options were Graham, Ryan, Yaz, and Han. We have a tie for third and fourth place between Ryan and Yaz. I think... As we've kind of been seeing throughout the season, Graham plays a little bit more of the primary companion. He gets more to do, a little more emotional exploration with the character development. And then we have Ryan and Yaz and their time being split. So I can definitely see that. Ryan had his impactful moments. It was more directed, though, towards Graham's development, even though it's about their relationship together. It's propelling him forward through his sadness and his grief. We do see a bit of the searching, him having difficulty with his father leaving him, but I think they're going to go more into that next episode. That will be more of the Ryan deep dive. And Yaz has that connection with Han, her ability to really bond with these secondary characters and show us more about them. Unfortunately, that just didn't get enough screen time. And second place with 22% is Han. She's clever. She's intuitive. She can do a lot on her own. I mean, she walked right into that void by herself and managed to stay alive until Ryan got there. She was smarter than the father, less emotional. She puts it to him a little. I wanted to see it even more. I <laughs> wanted to be like, Dad, what the F? 
You've been You're leaving me home for days on end. You tricked me about a thing in the woods. Like, we didn't get enough of that moment. We need to have her saying that to him. Absolutely. But that's not her fault in all other aspects. Her character was great. And of course, coming in first place with 56% is Graham. This was absolutely the Graham show. <laughs> other than the stuff with the doctor, if we're keeping it to companions, he knocks it out of the park as Bradley Walsh has been doing all season. Yeah, it was a perfect mixture of emotion, which I've already brought up. Sorry to keep bringing it up. But those scenes meant so much, and they had so much weight to it. But also humor, the Graham humor. He brought a sandwich. Not hungry, are you? Because these days I always carry a cheese and pickle sarnic, you know, just for emergencies. You carry sandwiches with you every time you leave the TARDIS? Yeah, well, I've learned the hard way, haven't I? I mean, we can go a long time without eating, and I get a bit cranky with the old low blood sugar level. Now, always come prepared. I mean, we saw how hungry he was in Rosa, and he learned his lesson. Yeah, we're still going to stop somewhere else to eat, though, right? (laughs) Something I really want to see, and I've wanted to see it since day one of Doctor Who ever watching it, I want to see what the TARDIS's kitchen looks like. Yeah, That's got to be awesome. We know it can produce custard cream biscuits. (laughs) Let me get that right this time, but is that it? Do we have anything else to eat? Well, remember, the TARDIS is huge. Mm -hmm. There's room upon room upon rooms. Anything you need is there. So that kitchen must be awesome. We're assuming, but we've never seen it. It's there. My imagination says there is one. People are saying that they're glad we didn't see as much of the TARDIS this year because time is usually wasted there in the sense of it takes away from them being on an adventure. But to me... That's a whole separate adventure. And I'm feeling a little bit TARDIS light. Uh, I'm having some withdrawals. We set up this whole great new interior. I'd like to see some more. But let's go over to our Clatchers and see what they had to say about MBC. One of those Weasley says, I'm voting Team Yaz because I haven't voted for her previously. And I want to give her one vote before the season ends. Yeah, I feel you. Poor Yaz. Michelle wrote, you didn't include the frog. That's true. The solo tract. The Solar Tract, yeah, that would have been a nice one. Yeah, honorary to the Frog Solar Tract. Brian T. says, a tough call here. Ryan puzzling out the monster in the woods. Yeah, speaking the doctor's language. Graham realizing the truth in a single answer. Or Han seeing more clearly than any of them. Ooh, that's poetic yeah. right there. I yeah. like that. It speaks for all of the characters better than we just did. And Brian S. says, not going to be able to watch before you record due to a flight home, but put me down for whomever C votes for. I hate you, man. Yeah. (laughs) Does that mean I get to give mine first? Absolutely. Okay. Well, no surprise. I have to go with Graham. This goes against my rule because I have given it to Graham once before in episode three, Rosa, and I haven't yet given it to Ryan, but I'm really thinking that I will next episode. So I was kind of going to be doubling down on someone. Well, for reasons I've already given, I'm going with Graham as well. But Han is right there, for sure. Just as a point of reference, did he have any cool outfit things going on this episode? No, I don't think so. Okay, that's unfortunate. (laughs) Well, he had the necklace. Oh, that's right. Okay. Before we move on to our spoilers, we are getting to the end of our season. I can't believe it already. Next week will be episode 10, our finale. Now, of course, there will be an episode after that. We're going to be talking about the special a little in our spoiler section. But next week is going to wrap it up for the CKC coverage. However, there's still plenty more content. 
If you haven't already yet checked it out, you can head on over to our Patreon. Just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com and click on our Patreon page. You can see everything that's available to you there. There's a tier for everyone. Each month we have bonus podcasts where we cover interesting topics. The last month we talked about the history of Thanksgiving. And of course, there will be some fun stuff about the holidays in this month's bonus. But we also just released our movie podcast, Fantastic Beasts 2, The Crimes of Grindelwald. As ever, the movie podcasts are lengthy because we do a lot of research. We try to get as much behind the scenes stuff as we can. We try to figure out our own confusion for movies like this. But on the fun side, we also talk about all the beasts. If you just need to hear more about Fantastic Beasts, that's the place to find it. And we did cover the first Fantastic Beasts for our first movie in Patreon. So you can go back into the library to find that as well. There's so many bonus episodes, so many movie reviews. We have well over two days worth of content for you to enjoy. If that weren't enough, there's also a raffle every month with two winners, one for the new members that joined that month and one for all of the existing members. Both winners get one free item of gear from the CKC store, any item that you like. And speaking of Clatchers, we want to thank one of our Clatchers for leaving a beautiful review on our main podcast channel. So a big thank you to Fiction Boy. We really appreciate it. We read every single review. It helps the podcast to keep growing and others to find us. So if you haven't yet done so and you like what you're hearing, head on over and give us a rate and review on iTunes. Five stars, hopefully. But we appreciate all of your feedback. And in January, we will be coming back with The Magicians. We've already covered the first three seasons, so go ahead over there, search The Magicians, Coffee Clash Crew, you'll find us there. Join us on The Magic. That's a show by Sci-Fi. Not all of you might have heard of it or watched it yet. And the name can be a little misleading. Yes, it's fantasy. Yes, it's full of magic. And gorgeous visuals that you want to see, but it has a darker side. It's a really interesting story, and three seasons so far... They have yet to let us down. It gets better and better every season. Every episode is exciting, and I know there's not a lot of new programming happening during that time. There's also novels that the show is based off of. They have strayed so far off Mm. of that because they're just creating lots of great content and imagining where this world would go. But the point is there's a lot to dive into. So if you're interested, definitely check that out before the new season gets going. The first three seasons are available on Netflix. That's it for regular coverage, so if you are afraid of spoilers, we will see you next week when we review the Doctor Who Series 11 finale. For everyone that's still here, let's talk about some of the fun tie-ins we got for this episode. First of all, the 10th Doctor previously encountered a mirror that led to an alternate dimension in the novel Martha in the Mirror. This is also not the first time that Doctor Who episodes have been set in-universe in Norway. Jason, one of your biggest moments, David Tennant, the 10th Doctor's goodbye, Mm. his farewell to Rose Tyler for the last time, took place on a fictional beach in Norway that was translated to mean bad wolf, as Rose tells us. That's right. Also, last year, Norway made a fleeting appearance during an adventure featuring Bill Potts and Peter Capaldi called The Lie of the Land. Oh, and Norway also appeared in the Doctor Who comic, A Midsummer's Nightmare and the audio adventure Project Lazarus, so a frequent location. And something I've been wanting to talk to you about, within the episode, the Doctor claims to have seven grandmothers, including Granny Five, who told her about the Soul Attract. She talks about her here, and she also told her that Granny Two was a secret agent for the Zygons. I'm sure you remember those guys. Of course. This brings up questions, though. 
In the 1996 Doctor Who TV movie, the eighth Doctor declares he's half-human on his mother's side, and it's suggested he's not kidding with other evidence in the film to back up the assertion. Thirteen years later, though, the end of time saw the tenth Doctor faced with an unnamed female Time Lord. Remember that? When they went to Gallifrey and we were hearing about Doctor Who's past and there was a bunch of Time Lords, a female one who there seemed to be a strong connection with. And Russell T. Davies later confirmed she was also supposed to be Doctor Who's mother. Mm. So which is it? Was the Doctor's mother an Earthling or a mighty Gallifreyan? Well, given how little we know of Time Lord genetics and reproduction, is it possible all seven women were the Doctor's blood relatives, they really were her grandmothers, and that the Doctor has more than one biological mother, an Earthling mother, and a Gallifreyan mother. Anything's possible. I mean, sounds a little crazy, but we don't really know the Doctor's backstory or what happened with all of that. So thanks to Den of Geek for putting forward that question. It's really got me thinking about it. I don't think we would just throw in this business about seven grannies if it didn't mean something. We also got a summary for our next episode, episode 10, the finale, where on the planet of Ranskur of Kolos lies the remains of a brutal battlefield. As Team TARDIS answers nine separate distress calls, they discover the planet holds far more secrets. Who is the mysterious commander with no memory? What lies beyond the mists? Who or what are the Ux? The answers will lead the team towards a deadly reckoning. Ooh. Okay, better than that. Guest starring Phyllis Logan as Andinio, Purcell Ascot as Delph, and Jan Lee as Umsang, but best of all, Mark Addy as Paltraki. Now, Mark Addy is Robert Baratheon from Game of Thrones. I can't wait. Bobby B is making an <laughs> appearance on Doctor Who. Look at this idiot. One ball and no brains. I am so excited. He better be a fairly main secondary character for the episode. Don't get your hopes up. Oh, don't even tell me. <laughs> well, also, we've been talking about the holiday special, which will be a New Year's special this year rather than a Christmas special. They're being pretty tight-lipped about it, but we got a snippet of a synopsis. Chibnall tells us, As the New Year begins, a terrifying evil is stirring from across the centuries of Earth's history. As the Doctor and the TARDIS team return home, will they be able to overcome the threat to planet Earth? Well, this will be the first time that Earth is being threatened in this incarnation of the Doctor. Yeah, and we've spent a decent amount of time on Earth this series so far. Absolutely, but the Earth hasn't been mm -hmm. threatened. So I'm excited to see how they deal with that. Me too. Well, that wraps it up for our penultimate episode. Thank you, as always, for being fellow Clatcher companions. And a final reminder, with the holidays right around the corner, you don't have to wait for a Patreon raffle. You can just go get some CKC gear from our store. CoffeeClutchCrew.com. Check out the gear page. Or if you're looking for that perfect gift to get somebody, check out SongFinch.com. SongFinch, where you can create a personalized gift that brings stories, feelings, and memories to life through a one-of-a-kind radio-quality song. With personalized songs starting at $99 and delivered within a week, their community of professional songwriters will handcraft the best gift you can give. The holidays are right around the corner, so become a gift-giving champion. After all, every special occasion needs a soundtrack. And for our listeners, you can get $20 off your personalized song from scratch. Just go to songfinch.com and use the promo code CLATCHERS. That's K-L-A-T-C-H-E-R-S. 
And until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.